You are listening to episode 82 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Dr. Sean Drake. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast. Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey, everybody, welcome to another fantastic episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. I really appreciate you, as always, for tuning in to the show. And today we have a great one with Dr. Sean Drake about the body tennis connection. And so, Dr. Drake is vice president of Racket Fit, which is a fantastic organization that is really taking the tennis world by storm and has a lot of great principles and concepts that it teaches to all. All of those who are interested in Racket Fit and、uh, some really great people are involved in Racket Fit, such as Jeff Salzenstein and Dr. Mark Kovacs, who I both had on the podcast before, as well as my tennis summits. And Dr. Drake is a really、uh, great guy. I actually met him at the World Tennis Fitness Congress in Atlanta this past, or actually last year, which is hosted by Dr. Kovacs and his wife, Mary Jo. And obviously, I was very impressed by Dr. Drake and、uh, really wanted to have him on the podcast. So I'm very fortunate that Dr. Drake made the time to come on to the show. So obviously, I really appreciate him coming on to spread his knowledge to help both us players as well as coaches on how we can improve ourselves and just become better, have more knowledge about the game. So, with that, I will dive straight into the interview with you. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Sean Drake. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited and honored to have Dr. Sean Drake on the show today to talk about the body tennis connection and how Racket Fit can help you improve your tennis performance. Sean is probably the, my second most favorite person named Drake.、Uh, no, I'm, I'm kind of kidding there. But so, so to give you a background,、uh, Sean's background. Uh, he does have a very distinguished、uh, background. So he is the vice president of Racket Fit, which we'll obviously get into today. Sean is also,、uh, also has a master's in sports health science with an emphasis in sports injury management, which is very much needed in the tennis world, of course,、uh, that knowledge. And Sean also has a doctorate in chiropractic、uh, from Life University in Atlanta, which、uh, coincidentally is where the ITPA World Tennis Fitness Congress. Has been held the past several years, in which I've attended as well and watched、uh, Sean present. So it's been a really awesome、uh, experience over there. And Dr. Drake also holds numerous professional certifications, including a certified chiropractic sports physician from the American Academy of Chiropractic Sports Physicians. 
Uh, he's also a performance enhancement specialist with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, and he has a grass and technique certification. Sean also runs uh, multiple chiropractic clinics, which is pretty amazing, and he's been the medical director for such events as the UCI BMX Supercross World Cups and Nitro Circus World Games. So, Sean, really happy to have you on the podcast today and really excited to get into a bunch of great things related to sports performance. Miran, I appreciate you having us, and uh, it's an honor to be here. We're excited. Thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate it. So first question for you, I mean, I was looking through everything that you've done, and I, you know, just out of curiosity, what is the Nitro Circus World Games? So um, you've heard of X Games, right? Mm-hmm. So Nitro Circus is a, a organization that Travis Pastrana kind of brought together, um, the best in, in the world when it comes to action sports. So it's motocross, BMX, skateboarders, inline. They've got you know, things called a contraption. So they put on live shows around the around the world um, when it comes to action sports. But then a lot of their athletes compete in things such as Dew Tour, X Games. Ethan Roberts, actually one of our guys who does a lot with the mountain bike and for our shows, he just won a bronze uh, in the ski moto uh, in X Games this past weekend in Aspen. So it's the best of the best in action sports, um, bringing you the, the biggest and the gnarliest chumps you've ever imagined. Uh, they definitely enjoy having, you know, chiros and physios and, and people that are around to keep them going at the level that they compete at. Very cool, Sean. And it's it's really cool, too, that you have, you know, a very, uh, very experienced background, you know, with several different sports, you know, obviously tennis, and then you have, uh, you know, supercross, and uh, you've also been involved in, in golf uh, heavily as well. So that's it's very cool where you can kind of compare and contrast the different sports and their needs and all that. But one other sport here, Sean, that I, I read that your one of your hobbies is skydiving, which uh, just scares the crap out of me personally. So how how uh, frequently are you actually skydiving these days? So I'm actually working on my certification at the moment um, to finally so I can do all my solo jumps. You know, with the amount of travel I've had, it kind of put my setback to it. But I've been a few times, definitely a huge passion of mine. My dad was in special forces. You know, I grew up around jump zones. A lot of my buddies jump. And, you know, being in San Diego, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, once you start meeting certain guys, and especially in that action sports world, and that's what they're doing, um, it kind of drives that adrenaline up. And, you know, I always say that you can get the best views from underwater and above the sky. And so um, that's how I kind of got into skydiving. That's very cool. And yeah, if I remember correctly from another podcast, you, uh, you're you also in the military yourself. So I wasn't. I was in ROTC. And unfortunately, due to a car accident, I never got the commission. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Yeah. Wow. So, but I wow. work with a lot of vets. We do a lot of performance training. Um, we do a lot of things for uh, vets with PTSD, brain injury. So there's a lot of things that in that world. You know, we've got to give a lot of credit to our veterans. And, you know, they need a lot of support. And especially when it comes to performance, a lot of those guys, they just, they truly, they want to be the best that they can be. And so when they can get some of this performance training and, and you know, FMS and SFMA, they do a lot in that uh, tactical world. So it's, it's a unique blend. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I can't agree more with with that, with your sentiment on that. And uh, Sean, obviously, you have an amazing amount of expertise in the area of sports performance. I'm curious, uh, what exactly sparked your interest in sports performance and what made you decide to work in this field? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think the big thing was, you know, a lot of people that go into medicine and or physical medicine or they go into Eastern medicine, they go in because it affected their life. And, um, you know, my story is I was at Florida State and I was running cross country or track and cross country. Long story short, I was driving home. I got 
ran off the road and hit by a semi truck on I-75. My truck flipped three times, wrapped around the tree. Uh, it pretty much ended my my career overnight, and uh, it took about two and a half years to kind of get everything going the way that I could live normally, happy. Uh, and then I moved down to Tampa, and I was involved in um, politics for a bit. Moved down there, I was going to go to law school. And I found a sports chiropractor randomly at a place I was working. And I said, hey, would you mind if I came in and saw you? I know that you work with the Yankees when they're here on spring training. I know you work with USF baseball. And the guy was like, why don't you just come in and we can see what we can do? And so I went into him, basically not understanding what chiropractic was. And after about three adjustments, I had full range of motion in my shoulder when I was told that they were going to have to do surgery. I it's About six weeks of care, um, I had a condition called ulcerative colitis. And um, after my car accident, and it was so bad that they had me on so many meds, but through getting adjusted, changing my diet, changing my lifestyle, my body came back to life. And I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but I love it and I want to do it. And so I asked him, you know, where do, how do I do this? Where do I go? And he said, you got to go visit five doctors before you can do anything. And I said, okay, great. So I went and visited five different chiropractors and he goes, great. Now I want you to go visit five different PTs. And so I did that. And he goes, now I want you to visit five MDs. And so I went and did that. And I noticed for me personally is that the chiropractor's office was, you know, always really happy. And, you know, there were people excited to be in there and, you know, and I may have chose the right practice to be in at the right time, but then the big show from WWE walks in and Emma Smith's coming in another one. And so it was just a really unique perspective. And that sparked my, you know, my passion to say, this is what I want to do. And then I picked Life University, which couldn't have been the best choice for me at that time because they had multiple sports on site. And so during my master's, you know, and during my, you know, grad assistant, I was able to work with our athletes, um, everything from rugby. So I traveled around the country as their team chiropractor. We worked closely with Kennesaw state sports medicine. So I got to learn how to work with golfers and tennis players and some of these, these different sports that aren't the football basketball scenarios. Um, and through all that, it's just, you know, being an athlete growing up my whole life in, in sports to have that taken away, to get it back is something that um, I swore I'd spend the rest of my life trying to do to help other athletes. Wow. That's, that's very, very motivating, Sean. It's, it's pretty incredible too. Cause I think, you know, at, at that stage of your life, which I, you know, I, I think a lot of people would be hesitant to kind of start a new career and, and, you know, you would think that it would take like so much, uh, studying, especially in, in the scientific arena. And so, but then I guess, you know, after you visited the different uh, medical experts, then you just uh, leaped into to schooling and, and got certifications. Is that how it worked? Yeah. So I had to, because of my initial degree, I had to go back and do the sciences and like university has a, a expedited program that I did biology one and chemistry one for, for five weeks. And then I did biology two and chemistry two for five weeks. And I did organic chemistry one and physics and then organic chemistry two. And so in 10 weeks, I was, I had knocked all those out. Um, very blessed with my grades. Uh, you know, was, I, I think whenever you find something that you're passionate about or that you love, it comes together and it's easy. I always say that if you're if you're doing something and you hate it or you're constantly hitting a wall, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. So then I got accepted to chiropractic college and, you know, I spent three and a half years at, at Life University and some of the best experiences that I've ever had when it comes to seeing miracles happen through the body and through performance. And I had great mentors that were in the sports performance world, you know, from, you know, Dr. John Downs. And, um, you know, it's it's a unique thing to have people that understand the nervous system and are willing to allow an athlete to blossom 
through the right team around them. Yeah, very true. That That's incredible. Uh, Sean, really appreciate you sharing that experience. And so as far as the tennis aspect, I, I think if I remember correctly, you said that uh, at when you were working with, uh, was it Kennesaw State uh, Athletes? Is that what, Was that the first time that you kind of uh, got exposed to the tennis world? That was the first time as a, um, I would say, as a medical, you know, intern um, and chiropractic intern that I'd actually been able to work with tennis players. I was around tennis a lot at Florida State. Um, you know, I had a really good friend who was a tennis player while we were going through high school. Um, and I never really understood the game. I was like, you know, coming from a, a track, cross-country swimming and soccer background, I I never understood the just hitting the ball back and forth. And it wasn't until I got asked to do this, and we'll, we'll get to this probably on the next question, but I was amazed at how athletic the tennis players were. And it's one of the sports that I look at now and I say, you've got to be a tennis player. They're some of the toughest, most athletic individuals I've ever worked with on any of the sports that I've done around the world. Yeah, no, I I definitely appreciate that. You know, obviously I'm a little biased here, but yeah, it's just incredible how these athletes, I mean, especially uh, pro level, but you know, collegiate too, and, and every level where you're just performing you know the repetition so many hundreds and thousands of times and and you require so many different skill sets and and strengths and and things like that so it, it's so tough uh to to keep that to keep that explosiveness uh, up for for hours so i definitely agree there and you know before we get into some more in, into the uh substantive questions i i do want to ask kind of a fun question here which is what are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Dr. Sean Drake? <laughs> three things that they don't know about me. Yeah. Let's see. I love to sail. So that's, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love improv and stand-up comedy. I think that that's uh, a hobby mm-hmm. of mine. And um, I think the third thing, I would say live music. Uh, I love live music. I try to I try to go to live music every night when I'm home in San Diego and wherever I'm out on the road I try to I try to find some new artist that's a local person playing. Very cool. You did really well with that, Sean. A lot of people struggle or try to pass on that question, so I, I applaud you. <laughs> so that's that's pretty amazing. But yeah, I do want to get into you know a, a lot of great advice for the audience here in regards to, of course, sports performance and uh, your f- physical health and stuff like that. So you know, from the standpoint of a sports performance and medical experts such as yourself, what are some of the biggest concerns that you see when you watch amateur tennis players in particular like what are some things that they're doing that you kind of cringe at or things that they're perhaps not doing yeah i would say i i don't necessarily cringe ever um i really am excited that people are playing and that they're actually being active and our in our society that's becoming sedentary right i will say that it it is interesting to watch certain amateurs playing that are under that are being coached. And, you know, when I look at athletes and I say, or, or, you know, somebody who's in a league and maybe they don't understand ball recognition, they don't understand depth, they don't understand strike zones. And so these are the basic concepts when we're looking at tennis biomechanically that we should understand. Right. And so when that happens now, maybe we're, we're bringing the racket too high up. And so we're using a lot of our shoulder instead of allowing the body to move freely 
to allow that contact to be in the right you know position to allow the ball to do what we want it to do. So I think that is one. Um, two, people that play broken. And what I mean by this is, and you see it all the time, is you know we're in pain, so we go ahead and we put a brace on. Um, and so now that force transfers to a different part of the muscle or another part of the joint. And so next thing you know, we've got another um, brace around that next part of the body. And so I always tell people, I said, don't bring a broke problem and a functional problem into athletics. Even no matter the fact that you love playing tennis, I'd rather you take some time and get back to being functional because when you have these, these, what we call injuries or maybe some um, deficiencies, that's creating a motor pattern in your body that your brain now remembers. So say you had a great ground stroke in a forehand or backhand, or say your serve was actually pretty technically sound and now you're injured and you're still playing, you're creating a bad motor pattern. And so your brain now rewrites that in your head and says, no, this is what we do. So if you're not working on that problem, it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. And then we see people drop out of tennis. And that, that to me is, probably the saddest thing. Yeah, I love that advice, Sean. And so, I mean, one thing that people struggle with on that note is, you know, sometimes they'll just pick like a random amount of time or just kind of, you know, they'll just say, oh, you know, I'll I'll stay off of it for a week and then come back or I'll stay off of it for a month and come back. So are there any particular guidelines or advice on that, you know, as far as that, like taking a break, like how long we should take? Yeah, I think, you know, the old adage used to be six weeks, walk out the door, you know what I mean? Uh, walk in, hey, you're injured, it's going to take six weeks, walk out the door. And we know scientifically that's not the case. And people that do a, um, what I would call that recommended rest time, our science is showing getting movement in and actually starting to do things earlier is better for the body and better for the motor control um, of what you're trying to accomplish and your healing. So you can't blanket statement anything to any injury for any client. You have to say, look, what is that individual's body doing? And I've got to be able to assess and diagnose correctly, because if I don't diagnose correctly, it doesn't matter what time, time period I give you. You're not going to heal the way that you should. So you may compensate now, and that's going to cause another problem down the road. So I guess my, my answer to that is, you know, when you see a problem, get checked immediately. If you're in pain, that's a red flag. That's a, that's a check engine light. You've got to go get evaluated by the proper medical professional, in my opinion. And these are people that have been trained to look at you functionally, not necessarily for a specific problem. You know, that's our orthopedists are the best when it comes to a trauma or a major, say it's a knee injury, and we've got to look at the knee only. But some of the people that are the best in the world when it comes to functional performance are people like your, you know, physical therapists, chiropractors, some of your, you know, doctor of osteopaths and MDs who have taken that one step further into sports medicine that understand things like the selective functional movement assessment from SFMA, because now they're looking at patterns and they're able to say, you know what, that elbow problem isn't an elbow problem. Maybe that elbow problem is an actual neck problem or a shoulder problem, or maybe it's an opposite hip problem, and that's just causing you not to transfer power. So you're, you're trying to use this robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, Sean. And so you did mention a, a couple of different types of medical professionals. So let's just say we have a scenario where, you know, I'm playing, I play a match, and then I, I feel like a, a twinge, and I know that I shouldn't you know, that I have to take a break and I need somebody to see it. So what's the, you know, what, what exactly do I do uh, as far as um, like which professional sh should I see first and like what's the progression from there? Number one, is it debilitating? And 
are you taking some time to rest and see if it goes away? Are you making sure that you're nutritionally sound? Are you drinking enough water? Uh, are you making sure that you've got enough electrolytes? Are you taking you know the right nutrition in to make sure there's not enough inflammation? Are you, the inflammation is being taken down. But the question you know I would I would put back on you is if you if you were playing right now and that happened to you, where would you go? Let me see where you're at first. You know, I have to be honest, you know, my, my knowledge in this isn't the best. I mean, I, I would go to a physical therapist, but I could be wrong, No, no, no. <laughs> but, but that's, that's where I'd go. Yeah. That's but a lot of times now we've got to, you've got to go to a general practitioner, um, that mm-hmm. people walk into their GP and they say, Hey, you know, I'm having pain right, in right. blank. And so a lot of times what happens is the script gets written, right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, okay, I'll send you over to physical therapy. And then you go over to physical therapy and maybe that takes a couple of weeks to get in, or maybe you can get in immediately. Um, and then you go to your physical therapist and that maybe that physical therapist or that Cairo or that medical doctor understands pathological injury, but they don't understand tennis injury. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't understand yeah. tennis biomechanics. They don't understand the sport of tennis. So, you know, it, they could be great at treating, but do they really understand the tennis player? And that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing that, you know, I'm trying to emphasize around the world right now is for medical practitioners who really want to be the best in sports medicine and sports performance to understand what that athlete is doing in both biomechanics and function. And so you people that just hang up a thing and say, I'm great at sports medicine, but then you've got a sprinter coming in. that's a 200 meter runner and you know, you try to make them symmetrical that's not going to be the best thing when the 200 is, is their event and they they're going to have a little bit of an asymmetrical advantageous situation where they're leaning into that turn. So one area might be, you know, more developed than the other because that's their sport. Same thing goes into tennis. So I think the, you know, when you're looking for a medical provider in your community for your listeners is to make sure you're finding somebody who understands the sport that you're playing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so I, I guess in that case, you know, when we go to the GP, I guess maybe would we be able to just say, hey, doc, um, I'd like you to request somebody who's who knows a lot about um, about tennis or something like that. I mean, or maybe just do our own research. Is that maybe what we kind of need to do? Yeah, I think, you know, right now in golf, for instance, I'll give you a prime example. When somebody's looking for someone to work with in golf at the moment, they just go to mytpi.com and they say, find an expert and you can click on fitness, medical, or, or teaching professional. And so if I'm you and I'm playing tennis and, or golf and I'm injured, I go medical. Okay. I type in my zip code. I say, wow. Okay. There's a TPI level one, two, or three in medical that I can call right now. And they understand golf. There's that, that credibility, that knowledge of information, right? And so right now you can look up the ITPA, which Mark Kovacs has done a great job with. Um, and, and Dr. Kovacs is one of our instructors for Racket Fit. And now what we're hoping to do is that through this Racket Fit certification that we're you know, doing with our medical uh, fitness and teaching pros is that that network gets built. So when you have an athlete that's looking for somebody, they can go on this website and they can say, hey, you know, Dr. Drake and Dr. Rose are in Oceanside and Oh, by the way, Jeff Salzenstein's in Denver. If I'm looking for a teaching pro, 
And so now they can start to put this team around them that we'll talk about later in this uh, in this podcast. Yeah, perfect stuff, perfect stuff. And uh, I've had Dr. Mark Kovacs on episodes 33 and also the previous episode 81 of the podcast. And I've had Jeff Salzenstein on the podcast a couple times and, and on my summits and yeah, huge fans of them. And uh, it's really a testament to <laughs> Racket Fit that you have like two of like the best tennis experts on the planet involved. So I mean, include, you know, plus yourself, of course, and, and others. Um, so that's, that's really great stuff there. And uh, as far as some of the most common injuries or potential injuries that amateur tennis players are prone to, can you just, uh, I don't know, just list a couple of those that you think are we're most prone to having? Yeah, let's break it into three different levels here. Let's talk about like, you know, pediatrics and, and kids that are developing the amateur and then the professional. And, you know, a big issue that we see is overuse injuries in tennis. Uh, and it's because we have players that just want to, they want to play through it and, and they love the sport. And you, as anybody knows that tennis is a super addicting sport. And so, you know, the low back is, is one of the number one areas that gets injured uh, when we look at tennis players and that's done statistically. You know, Dr. Kovacs did a paper on that. The shoulder and the neck um, are two that go as well. The hips uh, follow. Um, and then I would say the ankles are, are some of the issues that happen as well. Um, that's talking amateur up into the pro level. And we're seeing at the pro level now, um, you know, Murray just retired, you know, and you know, he had a, uh, a hip issue and now he's had hip surgery. And uh, I can go down the list and I don't want to because I don't want to make this a depressing phone call. I want to make this a <laughs> motivating, you know, awesome visionary phone call, right? But right. It, it breaks my heart to see some of the best tennis players have to leave the sport due to injuries that could have been one, probably screened and assessed and looked at correctly. And two, um, unfortunately managed. And, you know, that's where it's hard. It's hard to see that. And, and you see the fans right now, the ones that are writing, you know, and saying, we're going to miss you and we love you. And thanks for what you did for tennis. And it's got to be hard for them as well. You know, it's, it's, and then in the pediatric side, and we look at the developmental, is that kids shouldn't be hitting the amount of balls that they're hitting in practice sometimes. Um, we know that through coaching and motor control learning that less is more if it's done correctly. Uh, but I'm seeing kids with spondylolisthesis, like literally pseudo fractures in their lower back due to overuse training as they're growing. Um, and these are some of the highest level juniors in our country and internationally. Uh, we see a lot of shoulder issues and because they're not, they haven't learned how to develop their lower body power yet. And so they're, they're pounding through with their upper body. And so they're starting to get these elbow and, and wrist and shoulder issues. Um, so those are some that I would say that that are big red flags to me. If you've got a, if you're a coach or a parent that's listening right now and you've got a kid under 16 and they've got low back pain or any type of pain in their shoulder or neck, those are red flags. You need to get those evaluated. Um, if they're having problems in their hips, just due to the fact that kids are sitting more today than they ever have before, there are things called pincer or cam deformities that happen in the hip joint. And so your kid may not have the range of motion um, just due to developmental issues because now they're trying to be forced to be put in these positions. And this thing called the labrum that sits, you know, right above the femur head and allows it to lock in and kind of like suck, this gets torn or we start to see um, some degeneration breakdown and kids under 16 right now. So 
this is a, this is a big thing that we need to start looking at with the tennis athletes. Awesome insight. Once again, Sean, appreciate that. Can you give us some best practices with respect to stretching and mobility? Because I mean, this is clearly a part of tennis where where tennis players, especially amateurs, are not paying enough attention to, or even, you know, they just walk out after playing two hours and don't do anything and they wonder why they feel terrible the next day. So can you give us some tips on uh, stretching and mobility and, and kind of what we, we can do to improve that arena? Absolutely. I think one is we've got to get out of this concept of just stretching. Um, you know, you've, you've got to develop a, a dynamic, basically a dynamic warm-up. You've, that's number one. You've got to prime your body to compete. It doesn't matter if you're going out to just hit balls. You should have a routine that you do every single time before you play. And whether it's, you know, we, we have a whole program that we do with our athletes. You know, they skip forward, they skip back, they do karaoke, they do mountain crawlers, they do single leg hops, um, they do um, A-frames. They've, they've got these different things to get the body primed to compete so that way your brain knows how to move, right? And then I would say, you know, the second thing is, is that you shouldn't be stretching to perform a lot of times, especially when it comes to sprinters or, you know, people that are ballistic. If you sit there and you statically stretch this muscle and, and you, and you lengthen it, the power is, is for, is the rubber band. And so the tighter that is sometimes depending on the sport that you want that. So when you go and stretch, you actually decrease your performance. And then I think the third thing would be is, you know, we really have to be conscious on our recovery, you know, going back down with the dynamic cool down. And then saying, okay, did, you know, how much expenditure did I put out? Am I putting enough protein? This is where nutrition is really, really important. And then do you have like certain exercises that you do? We have in our racket fit program, depending on what part of the body is uh, physically limited, meaning there's a mobility issue. We actually have exercises that we teach our athletes how to do every day, just like flossing your teeth. And so they work on this every single day and they do it after their match. And then there's uh, a couple different, you know, groups that, you know, I work with one's Agoscu, the other one's Eldoa. Um, and you know, that's Brian Bradley over at Agoscu. And then you got Jana Alexander and Dan Hellman. They, they're doing a lot with the Eldoa world. And this is a fascial stretch and then a certain type of, uh, performance programming. But I tell people all the time, I say, you've got to have a system. You've got to have a routine. I don't care if it's just a social aspect to life. Um, because what happens when you go out there and you accidentally get injured playing social, now you're down. And, and that affects the brain, um, the emotional aspect of your life, your, and then it just affects your quality of life. So those would be some of my recommendations. And obviously drinking water. Um, water's key. You've got to do half your body weight in water a day. And then if you're, you know, put some sea salt in that in the morning. Uh, and if you're an avid tennis player and you're competing, especially if you're in Atlanta or the South and it's super hot or you're in like Maryland, you know, where you're at right now during the summer, you've got to make sure that you're, you're getting your nutrition. You've got your blood um, balanced correct. Gotcha. Awesome. Thanks for that. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Sean, and I know there's no uh, cookie cutter 
type of approach to everything. But I'm just curious, like, if do you give any or can you give any rough guidelines as to frequency and duration for for this, for stretching? Like, for example, do you recommend like you know ten minutes of dynamic stretching before and then like ten minutes of static after and uh, you know stuff like that or or a number of exercises or anything? Well, I think it it goes back to um, one of the philosophies we'll talk about later on the body. It's what is, mm-hmm. what can that athlete's body handle? You know, if they're going out to play an hour match or maybe a two or a three hour match, you know, what can they handle before they go on court? You know, do we want to burn them out? Do we want to make, you know, do we want to stress that system that much? Um, so, so I would not say there's a cookie cutter, anything to any athlete. Uh, if you're doing that, you're a bad coach and a bad doctor and a bad you know, fitness professional, if you just do your same system with every single player, because I think different players turn on at different times and different players react differently. And so I may, there may be an athlete that isn't re- like responding well to my dynamic warmups. So I've got to think outside the box and figure out how can I get this athlete to do this? So I would not say there's a specific time. However, I think there's a really good ratio that Mike Boyle talks about. He's a strength coach. And if you've never, if you've never had him on a podcast, you got to get him. He works through with every sport, but this guy's, you know, phenomenal. And one thing that I heard him say one time is after the age of 40, any, any basically year after that is the amount of time you should spend on mobility during any training that you're doing. So if you're 40 years old, you need to be spending 40% of your workout, whatever you're doing on mobility. If you're 41, it's 41%, 50, 50%, 60, et cetera. Um, For those under 40, you know, I personally feel that I try to work on mobility about 40 to 50% of my workout. Sean, what the hell am I going to do when I'm 110? Well, I hope that you're talking <laughs> to Dave kidding. Asprey and, and Bulletproof and some of our biohackers. Um, because uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, I think people are going to live longer. I think people that are doing biohacking that are understanding what we're, we're talking about on this podcast today when it comes to being screened for performance for life um, and getting assessed and, and putting the right team around you. I think that if you're doing the right things, the body's going to move and and you're going to move well and you're going to enjoy life. Yeah. Love that advice there. So a a common phrase that people like to say, and I I heard it last week, actually, after I played tennis is that's what happens when you get old, right? So Mm -hmm. with respect mainly to injuries and soreness, et cetera. So how do you decide if a player who has some physical issues you know, whether they should be working on those limitations, like to get more flexible or mobile, or is it simply, you know, or do they just change their technique or strategy to work around these limitations and you just kind of give up on the, on, on the mobility and, and stuff like that? Cause you know, you do have people who are, I guess, really injured and I don't know if there's anything they can do, but they still want to play. So I'm just curious, like how you kind of gauge those situations. Yes. That's my answer. So <laughs> no, I, that's that's a great question because that lead can I just go into our philosophies real quick at racket fit so that way yes. from, from here forward yeah. I think that we're all on, on the right track. You For know sure. the re when people ask me that and say, Oh, you know, I'm just getting older, this is happening, we've got to understand three philosophies. And the first one, you know, I talk about and it's the team approach. And so you've got to have a coach who's driving the athlete. And now that whenever they see something wrong whether that's a technical issue, a mental issue, an equipment issue, or this physical dial that we talk about at Racket Fit, that coach has got to be able to read that or that um, tennis pro. And even if that tennis pro isn't coaching people at the um, country club or wherever they're at, 
if they see things, they should go over and say, Hey, you know what? You're not moving that well. And, and you can always come in and get checked or, you know, have a lesson. So being able to inform them what's going on. But when there is this physical dial um, and that red flag goes off, we've got to know how to manage it. And so it kind of just goes to what you just talked about. If there's a physical problem going on in the body, well, we have two choices. One, we fix the physical issue, and that's usually done with like the medical and fitness provider, right? And then we send them back to the coach and or the coach does some corrective exercises as long as there's no pain. But if there's pain, then we definitely send it on to medical. We have it assessed. Now, say this person has a physical limitation or a physical problem, but they don't want to go see the fitness person or the medical person. Well, then that's the, the job of the professional, the teaching professional, to work around that. And that's that technical box. And so that's what they're the best at. So as a coach, you should be able to see your athlete. This is coaches that don't stick to one system and try to teach a system to somebody who can't physically do their system. This is for the coaches that say, you know what? I can see something's not right. Maybe we got to change something so that way you can continue to play. So that's number one. Number two is the, you know, the philosophy of the body. And so, you know, we have this, this concept, reciprocal inhibition that we talk about. And it's, you know, where the body's made up of, stable and mobile joints that are connected. So you have mobile joints connected by stable joints, and this is a pattern. So it goes mobile, stable, mobile, stable. So the foot is supposed to be a stable joint. Your ankle is supposed to be a mobile joint. And when we say stable and mobile, the, the mobile joints can move in multiple directions. So the hip joint, for instance, is a really good mobile joint. You know, it can flex, it can extend, it can circumduct, it can adduct, it can abduct. The shoulder is a pretty mobile joint. Um, the knee, for instance, not a really mobile, that's not that mobile of a joint. It likes to, you know, bend. So that would be flex and, you know, straighten out, which would be extend, but it really doesn't like to rotate and, you know, laterally flex or bend because then we have those things called, you know, ligaments tearing, like, you know, the ACL, PCL, um, menisci and, and the lateral collateral ligaments. So we have that philosophy of the human body. Now, when that pattern of mobile and stable joints break, bad things happen. And, what are things that you think would be bad things that would happen if that if that joint scenario was to be interrupted? I mean, you wouldn't be able to, you'd have a lot of pain, you won't be able to move. <laughs> how about not even starting the point, right? How about, yeah, yeah. how about not being able to get to the ball to connect on a ground stroke? So your, your performance goes down. So it's not just pain and problems when, you know, athletes are, are playing a sport. They think, oh, I only got to go get checked if I have a pain or an issue. Well, I'm telling you right now that if you're, if you're not playing like you used to, there's probably a performance factor. The pain hasn't come yet, but it's going to come at some point. And then, you know, the third philosophy is that there's, you know, when we're looking at the tennis racket, there's not one way to swing a tennis racket and a serve forehand or backhand. There's an infinite number of ways. And there's only one efficient way for you to be able to swing it, and it's based upon what you can physically do. So we want the most efficient swing in our serve, forehand, backhand, volley, overhead, um, we want to make sure that we have the most efficient. Well, when we have physical limitations that work their way into the little, you know, puzzle of, of the body, then that starts to be interrupted and affected. So that efficiency goes down. And when that efficiency goes down, well, usually performance goes down. Or if performance stays the same, we're having to compensate somewhere. So now the body breaks down a little bit or performance goes down and then it's just a vicious circle. Yeah, Sean, it's, I really am glad you mentioned, I mean, all of that, of course, but I mean, it, it's very true in that we all have different, uh, you know, our bodies are different and, you know, we can't just 
look at one player's technique and then emulate that fully because, you know, obviously our our bodies work differently and we have these limitations and things like that. But, you know, I, I do want to reconnect kind of your career path now and, and go into Racket Fit, of course. So, you know, can you tell me and the audience how and when exactly was the concept of, of Racket Fit created? Yeah, absolutely. So about three years ago, um, John Embry from the USPTA approached Dr. Greg Rose at TPI, and he was introduced to him through another colleague of ours. And John Embry had heard about TPI and Titleist Performance Institute and what it has done for golf and golf professionals uh, and fitness and medical and performance, but not only that, but in the community and helping growing the sport. And so he sat down with Dr. Rose and he said, could we do this for tennis? And Dr. Rose said, yeah, absolutely, we can do this for tennis. And at the time, I was in charge as the director of the Sports Performance Institute up in the Bay at Life Chiropractic College West. And we, had, we were starting this performance program, and, and that's how I was so involved in so many other things. But then, you know, Dr. Rose and I started talking, and we said, hey, let's, make, let's go after this. Let's really do it. And so about two years ago, um, we got the thumbs up from John Embry and, you know, over at the USPTA, and we developed and put together our advisory board team. And so through many phone calls, many Skypes, um, many reviews, a lot of data being collected on different tennis courts throughout the Southern California and the rest of the country, um, getting 3D and 6D analysis, re-giving it to our advisory board, going back and forth, you know, meeting with the USTA, um, high performance, you know, performance development guys uh, over there, and then coming back to the USPTA. And it was this, this, this development of, an, of amazing minds around tennis and the medical and fitness world that were working with tennis players basically putting together a product that now coaches can use to read that physical dial and help their athletes in ways that I don't think tennis has ever had before. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty incredible. And, and so, I mean, one of the main, I think, concepts that's mentioned is the body tennis connection. And so can you kind of expound upon that principle and what that is all about? Absolutely. So the body tennis connection is when we look at the athlete, we've we developed, to give you an example, we've got serves and ground strokes at the moment. So you have the body serve connection within the body tennis connection and the body ground strokes connection. And so what we've done with the best experts in the world is figure out the 14 things that are what we call characteristics. Some people would call them faults, but we don't call them faults because we can show you somebody on tour that's probably doing these things that's making a million dollars or more. You know what I mean? But these are things that we see and that we've agreed upon um, through our data, stats, research, and our advisory board that are characteristics that if you see these in the serve, they're probably going to affect your how you're playing. Now, the other part of the class, so that's the 14 characteristics. That's the big 14 for serve. In the other part of the class, we go over the tennis serve um, screen. So now we teach you our 15 screens. It takes about, once you're good, when you're getting started, it'll take about 15, 20 minutes sometimes. But once you're good and you, and you know how to screen, you're going to screen your athlete in about five minutes. And so... So that's five minutes of your time, uh, you know, during a lesson. But I can tell you right now that you're, you're seeing whether or not this is a physical issue. And the body, the body serve connection is when we put those two together. So in the beginning of our courses, we'll usually put up a video and we say, okay, what do you not like about this serve? And you'll get so many different comments, right? Or no, what do you like about this serve? And you get a lot of comments and then we'll say, okay, great. So what don't you like about it? And then everybody writes their answers down. 
by the end of the two-day seminar, everybody has the same language. So we've developed a common language around the serve, and now they can correlate that to the body. So that's the body tennis connection. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And I know, you know, when you were when you were formulating the concept of, of, of racket fit and its philosophy, you're probably looking at a lot of, of data and footage. So can you kind of describe like what, what it took to just, you know, like how many hours and, and, you know, what types of things you were looking at to, to develop the whole philosophy? I mean, we're still doing that. You know, it's, philosophy has been developed by Dr. Rose and Dave Phillips when they were in TPI, the amount of hours they, they have inside the 3D Bay. You know, I think Dr. Greg Rose has more time looking at kinematic sequences and data of athletes across the board from everything from, you know, baseball, tennis, to football, um, to hockey, lacrosse. So when it comes to these type of mechanics, you know, TPI has really driven that, that performance institute lifestyle. And so, I mean, we're, we're still working on this at RacketFit as, you know, TPI is on golf and on-base university will do with baseball. We never stop. And so when people take our seminars, if somebody says, hey, this is how it is and this is what it should be, we're humble enough to say, absolutely, if, if that works, we're putting that in the course. And so we're, it's constant involvement. It's constant um, hours studying athletes and more importantly, seeing what's working and what's not. Because, you know, when you do give an intervention, you have to see what you're doing actually has a positive result. If it doesn't, you're doing the wrong thing. Right. And obviously, John, you know, you've been explaining a lot of key differences here between racket fit and other uh, ways of teaching the game. But what, in your opinion, distinguishes racket fit from the standard practice of, of coaching tennis? Yeah. So I want to make something really, really clear is that we do not teach coaching. That's the job of the USPTA. And, you know, they put out, you know, some of the best, you know, coaches in the world right now. And so we don't teach it. We don't have a coaching philosophy. Our philosophy is based on the body and the tool that we give these coaches should allow them to use their coaching to a better degree. Um, so we definitely don't coach. Uh, even though we have Jeff Salzenstein in the serve surgeon, like one of the best in the world when it comes to coaching the serve, we don't get into coaching in this class. It's, it's really about learning how to diet, how to screen the body and make sure that your player is ready to play. So I'm, I would put that coaching back on the USPTA and, and say that, you know, they've got some really cool stuff coming up with raising the bar for coaching. Cool. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, as far as your role, Sean, you are obviously the, the vice president of Racket Fit. So what, what kinds of things are you involved in, in the organization? I mean, you know, right now I, uh, I'm, I help with our instructing around the country. You know, I work closely with, you know, Jeff and Dr. Kovacs, um, on all of our ideas with whether it relates to research or whether it relates to relationships with manufacturers. Um, obviously I am a member of the USPTA. So I, I go to a lot of the divisional conferences and I teach at those. Um, and I, I'm our connection to our medical and fitness world. So I still, I'm very heavily involved in the chiropractic world still. And now the physical therapy, uh, as well as, you know, speaking at different performance, you know, seminars around the country and around the world informing people what racket fit is and showing them the system. So those are some of the roles that I have now, uh, when, when I am in town at TPI and there's a tennis player that needs to be looked at, they come out there and, you know, we'll break them out, put them on the, you know, 60 machine and see how their, their kinematic sequence is working, looking at joint angles, looking at efficiency of, of how they're actually hitting. We'll do some power testing to see where their power is coming from. Is it coming from the lower body, the upper body, or is it core? 
Uh, and then from there, we go through our physical screen video and then uh, treatment. And then we try to find somebody wherever they're at to connect them with that we can trust. Awesome. Great stuff, Sean. And, and I can't remember if we mentioned it at the top of the podcast, but TPI, just for everyone who's listening, is the uh, uh, Titleist uh, Performance Institute. So uh, there you go with that. But as far as um, a, a racket fit and... Uh, you know, people getting involved. I know it's, it's, you know, there, there might be people listening who wonder, should I get involved? Should I attend a seminar? So can you kind of help us to nail down what types of uh, individuals sh- uh, should ideally be attending racket fit seminars and events? Yeah. So our course is open to anyone, but our market is uh, medical and fitness, you know, and the tennis pro because, you know, for one, the U.S. So if you're a tent, so let's put it this way, say I'm a fitness trainer and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I have somebody who plays tennis that walks in. They walk in and they say, hey, I play tennis. Well, there's nobody that really has something that says, I work with tennis players. And so what we've done with the USPTA is that we, you know, they sponsored our our program. And so if you're a personal trainer, physio, Cairo, and you get certified in racket fit, you automatically become an affiliate member with them and you're certified by the USPTA as well. So now you're able to go and put your certificate up at your clinic, at your gym, um, for marketing purposes, it opens you up to all these tennis pros that are USPTA certified in your area. And, you know, they've heard about racket fit and they, they're going to be more apt to send you athletes knowing that they're going to get back on the court quicker. Sweet. That's awesome. And uh, just to clarify, Sean, you mentioned if you get certified in racket fit, then you are automatic. Are you automatically also certified USPTA? Is that right? You're a certified affiliate member of the USPTA. That's that's for medical and fitness. Now, if you're a tennis pro and you're USPTA certified already, one, you get a discount on our course, but two, um, you get eight hours of continuing education towards your tennis continuing ed. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. And so as far as the racket fit seminars, because I know, you know, obviously I've been creeping around the website and whatnot, but you have one coming up in late March. But can you kind of give us the schedule of, of seminars and other events that you have for this year? Yeah. So I'm excited for this year. You know, we're going to kick it off like we did last year at the headquarters of the USPTA. And I think that, you know, being there at the home and the Mecca of tennis, have you been down to, to Orlando yet to the USTA center? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So many freaking courts over there. I mean, <laughs> it's it, cool. I got to watch Florida state beat Cal and uh, I'm in California now, but as being a Florida state alum, I got to see them play, but it's it's magical to see the energy around tennis when you're down there. You know what I mean? So we're going to host the 29th and 30th at the USPTA headquarters. We'll do a tour of the USTA center. And then we go to Rutherford, New Jersey next. That's going to be May 24th and 25th. Uh, It's going to be outside of Newark. Uh, Then we go to Austin, Texas or Georgetown, July 18th and 19th. And then we're going to uh, add a course onto the end of the USPTA World Conference in Las Vegas in August. So those wow. are going to be your four opportunities on our serve. Uh, we're looking at in the fall um, having our first ground strokes class. And so that's where Racket Fit is this year when it comes to attending. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I've got to look into getting up to one of those. That's that's pretty awesome. Also curious uh, kind of how big it is Racket Fit's uh, organization and advisory board. So if you kind of could just describe, I guess, you know, the, the team and the different people, uh, you know, within the organization. Yeah. So, um, you know, you got Dr. Rose as our uh, CEO and president, myself as a VP, uh, our advisory board. When you look at a company, I, I could not be more excited and honored to have the people that we have. I mean, we ever, like we said already, Jeff and, you know, Kovacs and 
Lane Evans, if you don't know his name, he's, you know, highly decorated within the USPTA world. Um, John Emery, Todd Ellenbecker, who's a physiotherapist, physical therapist out of Arizona, uh, and has also traveled with the USTA. He's on their medical advisory board. He's, he works inside their um, player development. Conan Lorenzo, he's a great pro out of La Jolla Beach and Tennis Club. You got Kirk Schaaf, who, you know, is a, a very great player. Now he's at the Bridges here in San Diego. You got Michelle Krause, who was with Cardio Tennis, who was basically birthed Cardio Tennis. It grew it to where it's at today. Um, Ernst Vick, he's one of the top orthopedists overseas in Austria. He works with all of their Olympic athletes. He's one of our advisors. Um, you know, I could, the list goes on and on and on, but we are truly grateful to have the people that are on board with us and supporting us and constantly you know, giving us information, you know, Dr. Dick Nicholas Danubli, he's one of these, one, he's the ACE uh, for fitness for those of you that are ACE certified. He's the chief medical officer for that. He's a surgeon. So those are just some of the names, Rick Macy, uh, Bill Riddle, um, Frankie Alpalo. So it just goes to show you the, the depth of knowledge that has helped create this product. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible stuff. And so where can we go to learn more about Racket Fit? So you can go to racketfit.com. That's R-A-C-Q-U-E-T-F-I-T.com. And that's our website. Uh, the customer service will come to me. If you ever have any questions, you can go to, if you're just interested in, you know, a seminar, you can click on, you know, certification, get certified. It'll pull you up exactly where you need to be. Uh, for those of you that are thinking about it, if you just want to create a account, you can go up in the top right, you go to login, register, you create an account. That doesn't mean you sign up for a class, but at least you'll be in there. Uh, and then you can sign up for a class through that, that domain as well. Awesome, Sean. Great to know. And I do have a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. But I do want to ask you uh, this one. What are three books that you would gift to a friend to help them come more fit for tennis? Wow. That's a really good question. So is this somebody that wants to read a book that doesn't want a lot of scientific stuff and keep it simple? Yeah, I, I would gear this toward the 3-0 to 5-0 player who generally doesn't have too much scientific knowledge, yeah. Okay. So I would say don't get a book at all. You know, get on YouTube and or, and, or uh, you know, go meet somebody in the community that's a master at it and save time. But if you have to start reading some books, some of the ones that I would say is more on um, The Supple Leopard, it's a really, really good book. It just talks about, you know, how to move your body in the right way. Um, Movement by Gray Cook. You know, it's a book that's kind of written at a different level for more medical fitness. But I know a lot of my friends and people that have read that book and it's changed their life. And now they've gone and said, you know what, I actually want to I want to move better because of this book. And I think the third one, you've got to pick a book about mental to where you're working on your mindset or your brain. And, you know, one thing is, is right now a book I'm reading is Game Changers. It's, you know, Dave Asprey's new book on, you know, what leaders, innovators and mavericks do to win at life. And I think that, you know, you can do physical all you want, but that mindset and mental is so important. So those would be three books that I'd recommend. And you know what? I can't, I'm going to pull one back in because I, I got to give, you know, Dr. Kovacs, you know, some there you love. Go. Mm-hmm. His, his book, I will say, um, when it's tennis specific, buying Tennis Anatomy is a great book. It gives you a lot of insight into how the body's moving. His new books that are out right now, uh, by the way, it's in multiple languages. We got to give him some, you know, shout out for that. Wow. But those would be the four. That's what I would do. Awesome. Love that advice. Um, first off, to seek um, experts who, who know a lot more than you do, because I mean, that definitely is the best way. But yeah, I love these book recommendations too. Uh, and I have both Tennis Anatomy and Strength and Conditioning for Tennis, both by Dr. Mark Kovacs. Uh, so 
great books in addition to the ones that you mentioned, Sean. Appreciate that. And also, you know, tech, tech is always evolving and it's important. And I, I can't remember, Sean, if you were there for the end of the World Tennis Fitness Congress where we went through like the tech portion and, and different. Okay, awesome. Yeah, different apps and whatnot. That was fun. Um, but are there any particular apps that you would suggest for coaches or players that you have found to be very helpful in analyzing uh, their game? I mean, the one that I use is V1. It's it's simple. It's easy to use. I can draw lines. I can send, you know, what I'm seeing straight back and forth to my athlete. And I think, you know, don't get overcomplicated when it comes to tech. The iPhone, in my opinion, has one of the best cameras that you can use in slow-mo to get the exact data you need for your athlete when it comes to doing video. You can go out and spend a ton of money on some of these other cameras, but, you know, your, your camera on your phone is, is just as good, if not better in some ways. I say um, for coaches, we've got some cool stuff coming when it comes to looking at how the body's actually moving with the kinematic sequence with different wearables that have accelerometers and or their different sensors within electromagnetic um, fields. So that's a tech that's coming, um, you know, heart rate. I think that everybody that's playing tennis should be learning how to train within their heart rate and looking at different zones to make sure that you're recovering better and so you can play better and it, it breaks it out. So there's some of the things I think on tech that are, are big right now. Awesome. That's great. And and sorry, Sean, the, the first one that you mentioned about drawing lines, what was the name of that again? It's called V1. Okay. And they have okay. V1 Pro as well. Got it. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. All right. This is a fun one. So if you could uh, have a huge billboard up somewhere that's very highly visible to, let's say, uh, a lot of tennis players, and you could write anything that you want on that billboard for everyone to see, what would it say? Get screened. Hmm. Love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, also, Sean, where can we follow you and Racket Fit, uh, either online or on social media? Yeah, so we've got all the uh, Racket Fit handles, um, everything from Twitter to obviously LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Dr. Sean Drake, so D-R-S-E-A-N, Drake, D-R-A-K-E. You can follow, um, obviously, Dr. Mark Kovacs, the Kovacs Institute, Jeff Salzenstein, you know, Tennis Evolution. And then, you know, uh, look out, we've got a YouTube page coming up. You can go to our site. We're going to have a lot of really cool videos that we're helping to put out content with. Um, so those are some of the things that you can do to, to find us. And obviously, you can always give us a call. And if you have any questions, we're here to answer and help, you know, you get to where you want to be. Awesome stuff, Sean. And and uh, for everybody, of course, uh, all the links that we've mentioned today and resources, including uh, links to Racket Fit, uh, will be on the show notes page at tennisfiles.com slash 82 for sure. Uh, so check that check that out. Um, before I let you go, Sean, and uh, again, obviously, really, really appreciate you know all of the knowledge you brought today for us um what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis fitness i think you got to figure out where you are first for those of you that really want to look at your tennis fitness you know i would if you're looking at true performance go find somebody who knows how you're moving go find um a doctor who can look at your blood work and see you know where your blood work's at Go to somebody who understands nutrition, you know, your diet. I think that's that's a key, key concept. And find somebody who can really track you objectively and subjectively. So objectively being able to maybe look at your heart rate, maybe look at, you know, how you're moving on court. And then over time with the program, you're going to get better and your heart rate's going to get better. And so you're going to be able to, you know, last longer on the court. You're going to perform better. There's going to be a higher efficiency. 
But other than that too, I mean, it's the opposite side is that take some time off tennis, do some other sports. I think it's really important that, you know, sometimes we get so addicted to our one sport that we forget, you know, cross training is super important to create an overall athlete. Now, you know, I can argue that tennis is probably the one sport that, you know, does both sides and um, is pretty, you know, active and agile. However, I think that, you know, trying other sports is not a bad thing as well. Awesome, Sean. Well, I really want to commend you and the RacketFit team for, you know, everything that you're doing. And you're doing one of the greatest things really that that someone could, which is, you know, creating something, you know, for the greater good. It, it, uh, you know, it's pretty much a, a movement towards bettering everybody's knowledge of, of the game and, and the physical aspects and technique and everything. And, uh, and it's really going to help a lot of people in their lives as well as their tennis games. So, uh, big congrats on that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today on the podcast and definitely looking forward to, seeing you in person hopefully soon uh so really appreciate it sean thanks a lot absolutely thanks for having us me and uh definitely you're doing some big things man i'm proud of you thank you thank you appreciate that sean really do and uh proud of you as well so so thanks a lot sean all the best all right i really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast with dr sean drake sean i really appreciate you coming on to the show today and spreading your knowledge about the game and i really again feels really fortunate to have such amazing experts uh, and greatest minds of the sport come on to the podcast really enjoy extracting great knowledge that they have and uh, spreading it around on this great platform which is podcasts and i highly recommend that you serve Search around and find podcasts that interest you that you think can help you in your life, whether that's other tennis podcasts as well as this one or just general life improvement podcasts, or maybe you're trying to improve your gardening game, get some more greenery around you, which is always awesome. And you can find gardening po- podcasts as well. So just do it find it and improve yourself. So with that, I also would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast and you can do that by hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app of your choice that you use to listen to most of your podcasts. For iTunes, you can simply go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes. And for any of the links mentioned in the show today, you can always go to tennisfiles.com slash podcasts and then click on the appropriate episode. And and for this one, it's going to be tennisfiles.com slash 82. Somehow we've got through 82 episodes without quitting. Of course, you know, I have no reason really to quit whenever I feel a little bit tired or burnt out. I just remember all the amazing emails and feedback that I received from you. I received uh, several of them uh, after episode 81 with Dr. Mark Kovacs, and I'm really glad that you all enjoyed that episode. I know uh, Charlotte and Charlie and a bunch of others that I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but they all really enjoyed that episode and I enjoy bringing this show to you. Oh, Susanna as well. I just uh, searched my inbox there. I cheated a little bit. But yeah, uh, I always enjoy bringing the best information that I can for you because uh, selfishly, I learn a lot and I'm really happy that you all learn as well. And I hope you're enjoying the show. And before I let you all go and do whatever it is that you want to do, hopefully it's to play more tennis and work on your game efficiently and effectively, I'll leave you with a quote. 
as I uh, often like to do at the end of the show. My video editor likes to remind me to include these, so thank you, (laughs) Omar. But yes, and today's quote is by Walt Disney, and he said, The only way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. And I really love this quote because a lot of times we're stuck in analysis paralysis and we try to be perfectionists and we think that if we don't have all our I's dotted and our T's crossed or however that goes, then we shouldn't start. But, you know, I think that we should just ship it, as they say in the poker world, which is another hobby of mine and then see what your you know get your feedback and then go from there so you know if you're trying to change your tennis stroke or learn something new or put it put a piece of content out there you, it doesn't have to be perfect just go for it and try it and then once you get the ball rolling then you can adjust from there so there's another episode of Mirbon's preaching show or whatever you want to call that, what, what that was. But uh, I really do appreciate all of you for listening to the podcast and supporting it. And before you know it, we'll be on episode 100. That's in, I guess, 18 more weeks. And also before you know it, we'll be up to Tennis Summit 2019. That's at least tentatively the name. If you want me to name it something else, then feel free to email me and let me know at Mirbon at Tennis file com and with that I will finally leave you to whatever it is that you want to do today and go play some tennis I hope you have a fantastic day week month and year and we will see you on the next episode of the tennis files podcast take care everyone thanks for listening to the tennis files podcast for more tips to help you improve your tennis game visit tennisfiles.com <laughs>